So hi, this is Angela Treat Lyon, and you are listening to Daring Dreamers Radio, located in beautiful Hawaii, and you can find us at idareyouradio.com. We bring you massive inspiration, powerful support, and uncommon resources for you daring dreamers who dare to dream it, dare it, and do it. And today, I've got one of my favorite people with me. I'm excited to have her back on my show. Her name is Joan Renquet, and she's an animal communicator. She's a speaker and the founder of Communication with All Life University. She's a marine naturalist and author of two wonderful books. One is Energy Healing for Animals, a hands-on guide for enhancing the health, longevity, and happiness of your pets, and Communication with All Life, Revelations of an Animal Communicator. Now, as an animal communicator, Joan conducts private sessions. She teaches animal communication and workshops. And she takes people on animal communication or wildlife trips. You know, like, want to go swim with the dolphins? You call Joan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Joan's worked with thousands of individual pet owners, dog, cat, and horse trainers, barn managers, and vets. She troubleshoots behavioral and medical issues, helps stimulate healing in conjunction with conventional treatment, and facilitates clients in deepening their ability to care for and understand their animals. This is very cool. Joan speaks all over the country on animal communication, human-animal relationships, energy healing, and marine wildlife. And as if that isn't enough, Joan also donates her time to help rescue and rehab organizations. Joan, do you ever sleep? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome, Joan. I'm so glad to have you on my show today. I've really been looking forward to this. Me too. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. You know, I want to talk to you about, you know, I've asked you this before, but I, I want to go over it again. How did you get into animal communication? Well, in many ways, when I look back at my whole life, I had many opportunities to do it. I just, sometimes it takes the anvil being dropped on your head to uh, kind of finally <laughs> give in to something. I had used animal communicators for uh, a horse I had, and she was the horse of my dreams. And after every visit with the animal communicator, I felt so much like this giant opening and this connection, and I can't even describe. And so I wanted to be able to always have that. And so sadly, that particular horse got very sick. And the night that she gave birth to my what became my orphan colt. But at that point, I was grateful for the communication. She stayed alive for a little bit longer, but she was in ICU. And I was now with an orphan colt. And so when you live in a stall with an orphan colt, you often have communication much like a mother would. And on top of it all, the other horse, the horse of my dreams, I was able to really have good communication with her as she left the planet. And I loved that I was able to do that. Uh, Sadly, I lost the orphan colt also. And in the mix, I was able to really understand a lot that was going on for him also. But I still wasn't getting that I could communicate on such a great level until I was faced with a lameness in another horse. And I went to look for the animal communicator's phone number, 
and I couldn't find it, and I couldn't find it, and I couldn't find it. And within 24 hours, I heard about a class. And so this is in about 92, 93. And so I went to the class, and it was very, 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 very fun. And that was the end of that. I ended up continuing to study and didn't really think I was going to be doing this, but I was doing it for friends, and word got out, and then eventually the L.A. Times did an article about me, and the next thing you know, the phone never stopped ringing. (laughs) Whoa. That's a pretty amazing story. So you lost two horses, and another one went lame, and and you took a class because you couldn't find anybody. Yes. And and I believe me with the lameness, I had done everything with a veterinarian. I mean, we had done what we call blocking the legs, where it's like, you know, they kind of make a part of the leg numb. And, you know, we tried everything to figure out what was going on. I still have that horse. had her now for going to be actually 28 in a couple of weeks. So oh, my God, very amazing. Yeah. And I always think of Pet One and Pony Boy, the two horses that I lost in that period of time in the early 90s, as you know, kind of the founders of Communication with All Life University, the program that I have. Not only would I not be doing this, I wouldn't be teaching it, and I wouldn't have so many students. Wow, 28-year-old horse. Is that normal? I mean, how how old do horses usually get to be? Well, they could go into their 30s, and I mean, I'm certainly hoping, and she's Acts like she's seven. I just rode her yesterday. We just moved from Seattle to San Diego. So she's pretty guilty. I mean, literally, she was mad I put her away early yesterday. I said, look, you know, we we have to get back in shape. We can't just run around all day. So she was, you know, she would go, go, go. You know, it's funny you say that because I was talking with an old friend last night um, who is from England and we were talking about how we feed horses here in the States. And, um, you know, he said that when he was growing up, that when a horse was 20, you stopped going to the hunt with the horse, but you still rode the horse around. And, in, you know, again, kind of like how we humans in this country and how dogs and cats are fed in, with commercial pet foods, we, we shorten the lives of our horses as well because of some of our feeding practices. So I've been really vigilant about organic feed, herbal wormers, things like that, and it's, the payoff is huge. Hmm. That's a good point. You know, our, our perception of things changes. You know, like, I'm sure if we were in another country where horses were used for agriculture, we'd have a different view. Yeah. But here they're more like pets and sport luxuries, really. Yeah communication would be, you know, it's often it's the, the farmers that I always think, boy, they're not going to buy into the animal communication, but not only do they buy into it, they uh, are grateful to get a better perspective on it just because it's their livelihood. Their relationships with their animals is necessary, and they, they have uh, great respect for uh, deepening that. Yeah. How interesting. I, I love this. Okay, so you say that you use, or we know that you use EFT on your animals. Let's talk about EFT, the emotional freedom techniques, and how that works. And, and how did you start using EFT on your on your fritters? Well, in the healing community, everybody was talking about EFT, and I'm always that person that's looking for that thing that I can do for animals because you know every animal is different and every person is different and 
every situation is different. So it might not work, you know, it might not be applicable to every single situation. So I love to have tool bags, so to speak, to help with clients. So at first I started doing EFT with people who had fear about getting back on their horse. Maybe they had a riding accident or maybe they just were afraid of the horse in general. And so I was using it for the people. And I also used it for the people if they'd had uh, maybe a dog bite, they'd been bitten, or they had a dog that was leash aggressive. And so they knew that when they walked out into the street with their dog, that they were walking out with a a level of tension that was not helping the situation. So Mm. at first it was just for the people. And then I had this situation where a client called me. He was a known horse trainer. I was living in Florida at the time. And he was there at this horse show with a client. And the client's horse was going after ponies in the warm-up ring. So terrifying young kids on their ponies. He was huge, so he's going at them with his bared teeth, you know, charging ponies and little girls. And it was terrifying the rider. And my trainer friend got on, and he couldn't control the horse any better either. And he's one of the strongest riders I know. So they called me, and they said, you need to get here now. And I was like, I I can do this on the phone. I can communicate and find out why. And They said, no, you've got to see this. And so I dropped everything and drove out to the horse show grounds and saw it from my own eyes, and it was pretty terrifying. So when I immediately thought, you know what, I'm going to do some EFT on the people. And then I thought, no, I'm going to try it on the horse. This was in 2003 or 2004. And um, so not a lot of people knew about EFT at that point. So I just said, you know, can we bring this horse around the corner? Because I'm going to do something really weird looking. Um, <laughs> so we found this uh, empty barn aisle at the horse show grounds. And I communicated with the horse and found out why he was going after the ponies. It turns out he had been weaned with a bunch of ponies. And he was really small when he was young. And he got picked on. And then Aww. he said, I know. And, but here he was this huge guy. And so we did a, round, a few rounds of tapping just on, uh, you know, those mean ponies. I can't, you know, even though I hate ponies. You know, it was pretty funny if you would have heard it. But it was real for him, right? It was a big, big deal. And so yeah. we, uh, we brought down the, the sadness and the isolation and worked through that with the tapping. And I just made up that the tapping points would be the same to the humans. And, you know, so I tapped on the inside of his eye, on the outside of his eye, under his eye. And I had the trainer and the owner say, you know, follow, repeat after me. So I just kind of made it up. And um, turns out he went back to the warm-up ring. He didn't go after the ponies. He gave them dirty looks, but he didn't go after them. And um Two months later, he was moved to a new barn, and he was across the barn aisle from ponies. And eventually, he was turned out in a turnout next to ponies, which was unheard of. So that one round of tap, well, we did three rounds, but within 45 minutes, we switched his, I mean, he'd always gone after ponies a little bit. This was extreme. But within 45 minutes, we changed his life. That's amazing. That's just yeah. You know, and being an EFT practitioner myself, I, you would think that it would get old, but 
you know as well as I do, it never gets old because everything is so different. And just seeing a turnaround like that is just, you know, you go home afterwards and you think, wow, that was amazing. Thank you so yeah. much, yeah. you know. <laughs> I know. Awesome. I get so excited about stuff like that. I mean, it's it's so, to me, it's really powerful because the animals aren't making a judgment call of, oh, is this going to work? You know, they're just. <laughs> yeah, up I for don't it. believe in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh well, well now you you have stumbled on something completely different called scalar healing. Can you describe what that is and how it works? Yeah, um, the technique itself, the scalar wave, is bringing in waves of energy, and and you bring in waves of energy at a certain hertz so that it's, you know, a high-frequency energy. But I want to back up a little bit to the idea that if you think of a standing wave of energy, it's very powerful. And any disease or naughty behavior or challenge, emotional challenge, is going to have an element of chaos to it. You know, if you think of even just like cancer cells taking over a body or um, a dog that might experience anxiety and therefore does something, you know, like digging or uh, shredding things. Either one of those and a whole myriad of other situations carry an element of chaos. So when you bring a standing wave of energy in, the chaos pattern or bad cells or whatever you want to call it has to move out of the way. It can't, they both can't exist. And so it's really a matter of continuing to clear the energy field, to work on the chakras, and then to bring in a standing wave of energy. And it's, as I said, it's, it's very powerful. Okay, let's let's back up a little bit here because I'm not sure that everybody listening to this would be would even understand what a standing wave of energy is or the okay. concept behind it, which is that everything is made out of energy and so therefore if you change the energy pattern, the behavior has to change, right? Correct. Okay, so what is a standing wave of energy? What does that mean? Well, it's like getting to a zero point energy a zero-point field of energy. If if everybody that was listening were to take a deep breath and to imagine just for one second that they were in a zero-point field of energy and that there was nothing but that wave of energy for that moment, a lot of stuff moves out of the way. And so what you're trying to do in in an energetic way from an energy perspective is bring in that energy to the body of the dog, cat, or horse that maybe has a challenge. And all of a sudden, they, if nothing else from that meditative state, they get into a relaxed state. And that relaxed state is the beginning of any healing. Once you hit a parasympathetic nervous system on an animal, you're starting to bring in endorphins. You're starting to bring in healing as it is. So it's really hard to describe, but I will say that it works. I mean, again, animals don't say, oh, that's not going to work. And I've seen the scalar waves shrink tumors. I've seen it change blood work. I've seen it just do some amazing things. So a scalar wave of energy would be like, uh, if you described how it is, it would be like 
you say it's zero point, I, I don't know what that means. So it would be like a state of calm or a state of rest? Yeah, even, yeah, yes. It would be, it's almost like a vacuum. Okay, it's and then almost, how do you do, how do you, how do you communicate that to an animal? Do you have a machine? Do you do it with your mind? Do you do it with your hands? How, how do you do that? You do it with your mind. And but so it, you it, get it, to a state of zero point energy, this calm, restful yes. state, and then you project that to the animal. Correct. Whew, wow. Well, that must be good for you too then. I always say, <laughs> heal or heal thyself, right? It's It puts you, uh, you know what? To be quite honest, I have a lot of my students in my uh, big professional program really perfect it because I have to be honest, I do it a little bit, I do it every day on myself. And I feel like when I come to an animal communication session, I'm already at such a frequency that something's going to change, right? So a lot of times I don't have to do a whole lot of anything extra for in terms of an energy modality because already stuff starts shifting because I'm showing up in this state. So the animal gets to tell its story. The person has a different perspective and already we are moving energy. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So just by walking in the room, you, you can start the healing. Yes. Yeah, that makes exactly. all kinds of sense. I mean, if you weren't in a state of that of that calm and rest, you wouldn't be able to do the healing. Is, is that true? Correct. I mean, I've, I've certainly been in a bit of a panic over a situation and still was able to send a standing wave in, but it is obviously optimal to be, be that yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes me think of this. I, I learned a long time ago, before I started doing any of this energy work, I used to be really upset by uh, tailgaters, people who drive up close to me and, you know, push me in traffic. And one day I was driving along and I thought, you know, I don't know what to do about this guy. He's making me really nervous. I can't go anywhere because there's cars all around me. God, you do something about this because I can't. And, you know, I'm not a God person. I'm not a Christian or a religious person, but I just thought that thought came to me. And before I could even look in the rearview mirror, the guy had backed off. So I'm just thinking maybe it's the intention and the really deep desire for healing and change and that connection with whatever it is, the divine God, the universe, whatever, that creates the opening for the healing. Would that make sense? I say this every day, absolutely, because, you know, I joke that at some point we aren't going to need modalities, we aren't going to need machines, that we're going to think and it will start to, the intention will start to form the reality. And uh, I joke that I, you know, wrote a whole giant book on um, all these modalities when I really fundamentally believe we won't need them at some point. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that. That's great. Well, you know, you brought your book up. Let's talk about it. I really enjoyed reading it, and I thought it was terrific. And for people listening, it is Energy Healing for Animals, a hands-on guide for enhancing 
the health, longevity, and happiness of your pets. And I would say of yourself. Yeah. You go through so much stuff in here. It's just amazing. You cover EFT and TCM and scalar and flower essences and my God, you've just got all kinds of stuff in here. What is your favorite thing about this book? Uh, my favorite thing about the book is that anybody could make a shift using something in there, right? It's like some people aren't going to like how technical it is. Some people, there's something in there for anybody in some sort of a, a challenging situation. Well, I didn't think it was technical at all. I thought it was really a friendly book. <laughs> yeah, I do too. But it might, but yeah, I mean, it it has something in there for everyone, I think, even if it isn't your style. How about that? Okay, that would work. Yeah. Well, now, you're, you're a daring person, or else you wouldn't be on my show. Out of all the mm-hmm. daring things that you've done in your life, what's one daring thing? Because, you know, there's a lot of daring things. What's one daring thing that you've done that has been key in your being where you are today? Um, I would say the daring thing that I did was in the mid-90s claim that I was doing this work. And I remember, you know, a couple of my friends, first of all, I, I was in the film business and I was at an age where, you know, women don't get as much work as actors. And a lot of my girlfriends were really struggling to stay in the business because they were, you know, hitting that close to 40 age and... We all know that Hollywood loves, you know, young, young girls. So I wasn't 40. I was in my early 30s. And I really didn't, I I just all of a sudden, you know, I'd been an actor since since high school. I had gotten a degree in theater, gone to Oxford to study Shakespeare, gone to Circle in the Square in New York City. But here I was in Los Angeles making a giant shift and walking away from something that I loved and that everybody on the planet that I knew was still very committed to and it was hard on the one hand it was so easy because it was obvious it was just right there for me but on the other hand I was letting go of something that I had really thought was where where I was supposed to be for the rest of my life yeah I understand that one so that was a big daring move for you just to say I'm an animal communicator yeah to a bunch of people that were desperately clinging to not desperately. I mean, some of my friends still work all the time and they do great, but there are worse, certainly people that were looking at me like, well, I can't believe you'd give this up. I'm like, <laughs> give up are you crazy? Yeah. 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 Well, I applaud you for doing that. Well, now yeah. tell me this. Let's take a left turn here. Okay. Now that you are this amazing animal communicator, and you use EFT and energy healing on animals, how can you tell if it's working? Well, for one thing, I like I like to have results. Like, I love to do the scalar wave on somebody and have their blood work come back, you know, profoundly different. I tell a story in the book about there was a cat that had a really unusual degenerative heart problem, and eventually the, the cat did die, but... Every time we did, the cat was in the hospital and they were had a monitor on his heart. And so we would, um, uh, one of my students and I did 
the scalar wave on the cat a couple times during the day, and we were able to see the change of the heart rhythm through this monitoring. So, and I have a little diagram in the book. But, you know, how do you tell when you're getting into the system? So back, you know, a little bit ago, we were talking about the parasympathetic nervous system. When an animal is in a state of, you know, starting to enter into a state of relaxation, they will start to process by licking and chewing. You know, they might lick their lips. They start to swallow differently. Their breathing changes. Their um, their eyes soften. They might... Um, Cast gas, they, you can hear their stomach rumbling, um, they yawn a lot. So there's lots of ways that you can tell that they're starting to process from a physical perspective. And then hopefully whatever the intention of what you were working on is um, starting to come to fruition. So, you know, hopefully if you're working on a lameness issue, you're starting to see an animal be more sound or hopefully going to see a difference, as I said, like with some of the bigger diseases in their blood work. And even if you don't see it in their blood work, maybe the blood work isn't going to change, but maybe that animal's energy level improves or their appetite improves, or maybe you're just making the animal more comfortable. Or their behavior changes, like that or horse. Yeah, exactly. I have a lot a lot of stories like that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. How come we didn't know about any of this? Where where have we been all these years? I mean, this isn't a new thing. No, it's not a new thing, but there's there's a couple of reasons. I mean, certainly as Americans, we uh, value the American Medical Association, and the same thing happens with the American Veterinary, the AVMA. And so more and more, I know so many veterinarians that are completely holistic and it's an exciting time for them because every other vet is going to end up being holistic. We're still going to need Western medicine because we're still going to need surgeries and stitches and antibiotics when something's really crazy and out of control. But we also can make choices for ourselves and our animals. You know, I was faced with a big choice. I made a decision to that first horse I was talking about that I lost. I had an operation with her and it still didn't save her. And I'm very mindful now of, you know, it was a big lesson for me about whether or not I want to do big guns on a situation Mm. with an animal who's got a very pure system. So I wouldn't make the same kind of decisions that I made back then based on what I know. And I've got ways, techniques and tools of making an animal comfortable, even if I'm not going to do something like a chemo or a radiation or a surgery. So we we have more choices these days, and there's more awareness, but it's always been there. There's people like Dr. Cheryl Forpaz, Five Directions. She's been a holistic vet since the 70s and was really quite cutting edge, and now she's turning out to be just quite normal. Hmm. Have you ever have you ever tried um, using cultured foods with animals? You know, like kefir. I have not used that, but I have. I do. Um, I carry a line of vitamins called Dynamite, and the, um, we have a probiotic that's unbelievable. So yeah, I, I actually I use apple cider vinegar. I mean, I I use a lot of things like that for both my horses and my dogs and even my cats. I don't know what made me think of it, but I know that cultured foods has changed my life. But I follow a gal yeah. who 
she's just a freak for cultured food. She does kombucha and kefir and sauerkraut and all kinds of cultured vegetables. And she was talking the other day in her blog about a dog who nobody could figure out what was wrong with it. And they finally ended up feeding it kefir, and within a week it was well again. Completely changed the, the bacterial balance in the dog's gut. I mean, you know, all disease comes from the gut is what they say, right? I actually, it's funny because when I got finished with this book and that it was, I got the book deal five years ago. So it was four drafts, three editors, two boyfriends, and a partridge in a pear tree. It was a long haul. I honestly, I went into the book thinking that everything was all about the immune system. And I came out of the book thinking everything is a gut, including the immune system. And I also, because of that, I'm convinced, I'm, I'm amazed actually that animals live in our homes because we don't have, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the call about the food with horses and longevity, I think of food and exercise as energy medicine. And if we're not mindful of that gut for our animals, with food choices and and vitamins and minerals, all of that. Nothing, no energy medicine isn't going to be as powerful or impactful. And then the other, you know, equal to that is the amount of exercise and movement or motility. Think about how far a coyote's territory is or a wolf's territory is, and yet we've got these little dogs that don't go outside. They pee on their little pads in a house and you know, they might run to the kitchen and back, but, you know, it isn't it isn't exercise. And a lot of the behavioral and health challenges come down to those two things, food and exercise. That's really a good point. Oh, when I think of animals cooped up in apartments in the city, I just, oh, I want to cry. It just seems like such a crime. But, I, I mean, that's my opinion. I'm sure there are people listening to this who disagree, but... <laughs> It just seems like it's so unnatural. Like in, in your book, you talk about how birds who are used to flying, what, hundreds and hundreds of miles a day, and they're in these bird cages. You know, doesn't that just totally change them completely? It does. And I will say that, you know, if I were ever so fortunate as to hang out with a uh, an African gray, I would certainly be trying to create a big, giant flight. But... Um, I love African greys. I, I I have to say, though, that there are, I mean, there are certainly ways that um, I know I get my cats playing every day, and there are ways to make up for it. Like, you could set up, if you had a hallway, you could set up an agility for, you know, a border collie in the city. I mean, I think there are ways to organically look at what is their breed, what were they bred for, how do I accommodate this? And when you get thinking people like that, then then it works in a city. Well, that's good to know. You know, I got, I'm just thinking of people who own wolves. I've, I I met a gal who owned a wolf, or, or the the wolf actually owned her. <laughs> she, I bet. But she had to move way out in the country in order for it to get the exercise it needed because it was just impossible in the city. Yeah. I'm sure people are like, wow, step aside, here comes the wolf. Well, now let me see. What other question can I ask you that will make you pop up with something unusual? Do you have some kind of amazing skill? Me? I think that, um, I don't think I do. 
I think that my my skill set is pretty much telepathy. <laughs> I'm good with people. I'm good with animals, and that's it. Well, now how how does being good with people and animals inform your ability to be with the dolphins? I mean, you you go swimming with the dolphins a lot, right? I take people every June, and I have room on my first trip this year. Yeah, I still have a little bit of room. Um, being good with people and animals, I think, pays off hugely because, you know, I walk around teaching animal communication so people have a better relationship with their own animals, but really as maybe even have a job doing this if that's something they want to do. So my program is geared toward that. But really, I feel like going back to that zero-point energy zone, um, getting into such a quiet space and really connecting with yourself and then with uh, wildlife is, to me, one of the most fabulous things on the planet. And I love to take people out into the ocean and get them swimming with dolphins. And I go with a guy named Jeff, and he's brilliant at getting people that are even terrified of water swimming within, like, less than 45 minutes. And I feel like what ends up happening is through gratitude and connecting with each other, really attract a lot of dolphins. Dolphins think it's kind of weird if you're out there swimming by yourself, but if you're with your own pod, they're like, wow, that's curious. Let's check it out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I think that that, that's where that comes in handy. You're making me think of this book that I read a long time ago where a woman was talking about how she... It was here in Hawaii, and she would go out into this one cove and swim with dolphins. And how one day she was really upset about something, and she went out in the water, and the dolphins swam away from her. And how she couldn't get them to come back until she got herself back into a place of relative calm again. I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, that is... That is that exact thing right there is why I love swimming with dolphins. But I want to actually touch on that a bit with our domestic animals. If you think about how much those dolphins were affected by her upset, what her upset was doing in her energy field was going, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. And it's just, it's a repellent for wildlife, Right when we get into a state of gratitude or joy, it's a magnet, you know, it magnetizes wildlife to us. Um, I've seen it time and time again with the dolphins. I've even uh, played with it a little bit with the deer that I lived with on the last farm I was on. Ravens, they really respond to that joy and gratitude. Um, But going to the uh uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh energy and talking about exercise in in our households, um, when you think of a duck it's swimming in the pond and it's, you know, over swimming close to the shore and all of a sudden it sees two little eyes peering out at her and it recognizes there's a fox and this is danger. And the danger rips through his, his physical being and he's in that state of uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And then he might freeze for a moment, but then he makes a decision to fly away. And as he's flying away, the uh-oh, uh-oh fear starts to dissipate and by the time he lands in the next pond he's in a calm state again what happens in our household is what the our dogs and cats can't do what those dolphins did and get away from that uh uh-oh uh-oh energy so they start to absorb it and live in it 
And we, you know, it's not that there's so much mirrors, it's just they're sponges. And they take on our stuff because there's no way for them to release it in the same way that duck got to fly off, right? So that's, that alone is why exercise is the most important thing on the planet. Huh, that's really interesting. Thinking about that, you can see how that is reflected, you know, like the classic picture of the fat little old lady who's, you know, really fussy about things, having a fussy little dog or, you know, stuff like that, where, where the animal actually mirrors the behavior of the human. Yeah, they're trapped in that setting. Poor critters. Well, I mean, there may be some karmic choice or uh, soul journey for them that they sign up for it. Well, they certainly are of service. When I had my dog, or when she had me, really, <laughs> she she was instrumental in my sanity. I, I just, I don't know what I would have done without her. Yeah, I know. We went through a period of, of being ultra broke, and I cried almost all day, every day, for months and months and months. And she would come and put her little head up on, on the couch where I was lying down, and and just her, those great big eyes looking at me going, it's okay, Mom, I still love you. You know, <laughs> she she was really the only good thing about my life at that at, at that point. And she must have absorbed so much upset, and, and she was still just the happiest, cheeriest little entity. You know, she was just the perfect little being for me at that time. I'm so grateful yeah. to have her in well, my life. Well, some of them are like Teflon and are just like, okay, well, I'm on with the day. How about you? Oh, I like that. Teflon. <laughs> my Teflon dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you could have your choice, Joan, of doing anything for animals that would be different from what you do now, what, what would that be? And that's kind of an off-the-wall question, but, you know, what would you add to your repertoire? What would you... What would you want to have happen for animals? Uh, Several things. I would first and foremost love to get an army of people doing EFT for shelter animals to help them be more adoptable and that it would be sustained adoption. I would love to see poaching and trophy hunting just go away. so I would love to be part of helping kids these days understand the value of the lives of the animals walking the planet. So that, And that's kind of a project that's not immediate, but in the next few years I've, I'll be working on that. And I'd love to see factory farming really. Oh, boy, you're not kidding. I, I don't even like to think about it. It's just so disgusting. Yeah. Well, I love that idea of getting kids to value animals and and working with shelters. And and so what would you recommend people who are resonating with this do besides read your book? Um, You know, say go to my website and contact me. I would love to, you know, I've got lots of classes and I've got lots of other students that would help mobilize some of this effort. And I would love to get people involved. Okay, so what's your website, joanrenquet.com? Yep, J-O-A-N-R-A-N-Q-U-E-T.com. Okay, great. And your book is Energy Healing 
for Animals. This is your latest book anyway. And you yes. can get that on your website and on Amazon, correct? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, yeah, lots of little bookstores have it. And Sounds True is a publisher, so you can order it there. Great. Okay. So is there anything that you'd like to add before we sign off? Is there any insight or revelation or tip to share with us? I guess the main thing is know that you're already an animal communicator. Right? Just it, So what you're sending out to your animals is really important. And when you are conscientious of what you're sending, stuff will start to shift in your household. Now, when you say sending, are you meaning thinking and feeling? Yeah, our animals already can, uh, they naturally do telepathy as we do. We just don't realize that we're, a lot of times we think that we are um, having some original idea of, hey, I'm going to go walk the dog now. And meanwhile, the dog has been sitting there saying, okay, let's go now, 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 I mean now. No, are you ready now? Now, now, now. We can go now. It's got this leash in his mouth going, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yep. yep. <laughs> When's my human going to get it? I want to go for a walk. <laughs> yeah, we got to go now, now, now. <laughs> oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. You know when dogs are left at home during the day when, when dog owners go to work? I had a friend one time who said, oh, it's okay. They sleep all day and, and they go into another state where you know, they don't have bodies and they go run around there. What, what, what is your feeling about dogs that have to stay home at all day long? You know, I feel like for some dogs it's okay. Like I have one older dog and that would certainly be fine. I have one medium and one younger dog. And I, you know, I try to plot my going out to work with clients around making sure that I'm back to get them out or to, you know, I get somebody to come let them out. But I think that it's okay if there's a ton of activity before or after or if you've arranged something, you know, like a dog walker or a pet sitter to come visit. I'm, I think some dogs really do go into a dreamy state, but I think other dogs go into big trouble if they aren't, again, it goes back to the exercise. If you're someone that got up at 5 in the morning, went on an hour walk with the dog, that might be fine. And then went to work at 7 and got home at 4 and you go on another hour walk or half hour or you go to the dog park or, you know, if you've got things with the dog in mind, then I think it's okay. It's the person that gets surprised when the dog shreds the garage and the dog hasn't had any activities. It doesn't even have to be a whole lot of activity, some sort of connected activity. Something that's going to stimulate them physically and mentally. So when you say connected, what does that mean? In other words, the dog is thinking, not thinking, but, but having the feeling of I'm connected to my human and I'm walking and I'm having a good time and, oh, this is fun, human. Is that is that kind of what you mean? That is certainly going to be great for some, you know, majority of the dogs. There's other dogs, like some of your more working breeds, that might be fun to shake it up a little and, you know, like I said, you could build a little agility course with files in your in a hallway. I have border collie crosses and a lab, and the border collies they love something that makes them think a little. Even my lab, I love to do like little tricks here and there. You know, even though I work from home, sometimes I'm on the phone doing phone sessions with other people and their animals, and I might go a couple hours, and then when I get off the phone, it's like, oh yeah, I gotta 
you know, let's go do chores and we go down to the horses or, you know, I, I make activities that we're doing as a unit, fun and thought-provoking. Hmm, I like that. That sounds like a family. Yeah, very much a family. Yeah. The best family on the planet. Well, Joan, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. I really appreciate your coming on my show and sharing with people what you do. And once again, Thank I want to you. urge Yeah, you're welcome. And I, I want to urge people to go to joanranquette.com. That's J-O-A-N-R-A-N-Q-U-E-T.com. And check out her classes, seminars, workshops, retreats, dolphin swimming. Get her book, Energy Healing for Animals. And I look forward, Joan, to having you on my show again in the near future. Are you going to write another book soon? I am. Um, mostly relationships. Building, you know, deepening the relationship and looking at the soulmate animal. Well, I think that sounds exciting. I look forward to yeah. reading it. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much again. This has really been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been very fun for me, too. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so this has been Angela Treat Lyon. You've been listening to Daring Dreamers Radio at mydareyouradio.com and Joan Renquet from joanrenquet.com. And I implore you, please, to be audacious, bodacious, outrageous, and bold and as alive as you can possibly be. And I'll see you on the next show. and idareyourradio.com bringing you massive support uncommon resources and powerful inspiration for you daring dreamers and today I've got an amazing guest she's an animal communicator her name is Joan Renquette and she's even got a book out called Communications with All Life Revelations of an Animal Communicator uh, published through Hay House you can get it at her website joanrenquet.com that's j-o-a-n-r-a-n-q-u-e-t.com so welcome joan i'm really excited to have you on my show today me too thank you for having me absolutely i think people are going to be really interested in what you do so tell us exactly in in two words (laughs) (laughs) what do you do Telepathically communicate. Those are the two words. Um, I I use telepathic communication to pick up the pictures, words, and feelings of what's going on for for animals. So if someone has me come over, you know, maybe they've got a a health challenge, so they want to know what the animal is feeling or what the animal uh, wants, you know, whether does the animal want surgery, that sort of thing. Or sometimes people have behavioral challenges, so... I come over and sort of, uh, I always call it a powwow, get the animal side of the story and then the person side of the story and try to figure out from there what to do. And sometimes people just want to check in and see how their animal's doing. Mm, Okay. So it doesn't necessarily have to be some critical situation. It can just simply be, how's my animal doing? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people do that. Oh, that's great. 
And and when you do that, do you do a series of calls, or is it just one call? What 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 usually happens? It's funny. Most people. I mean, I've been doing it long enough now that the the cycle of a dog or cat's life, people that have been with me since the beginning are, you know, calling me with that at the end stage of one animal's life and then later on the beginning of getting a puppy or a kitten or a young horse or a bird. I don't have anything in terms of a series set up. I mean, I have a series of classes I teach for people to learn animal communication, but I always say if I'm doing my job, they call me once. Uh, if they have, you know, the people that tend to call me more are people that might be competing with an animal and trying to, you know, whether it's dog shows or horse shows, trying to sort out or troubleshoot any um, challenges there. Oh, now you've brought up two important points here. You give animal communication classes? Yeah, I love teaching. Are these classes in person or are they teleclass? Well... For the last 11 years, I've done it in person, and this coming winter, after the new year, I'm going to start doing some teleseminars. And do you have a, a newsletter that people can get? Yes. Okay, so, so anybody who signed up for your newsletter can get information about these teleclasses. Yes. That's great. And then you said something else, uh, competition. At first, when you said that, I thought, "Oh, people are com- competing with their animals, you know, for <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what?" You know, and then, oh, okay, they're in competitions. Right. So, what is something that somebody would want to help their animals in a competition? Oh, I'll tell you, I, I have met so many people that uh, do the dog shows, and in the obedience, like one client was a really well-known dog trainer, and. She was trying to get this final title, and there's an, a, in the obedience class, there's a certain place where um, the dog has to pick up a glove and take it to the person, and you know the dog stopped to with just wouldn't pick up the glove and just kind of stared at her, and in that situation, you know she was over anticipating um, that he was going to screw it up after he'd screwed it up once, and so we we worked with that. I've got a good story in my book about a woman that is a trial lawyer, and she would do these, that was also an obedience class, and she just got so nervous. And finally I said, well, are you like that when you walk into trial? And she's like, no. And I said, well, why don't you put your little lawyer walk on when you go into the ring and shut your head off and give it a shot? So she won. (laughs) But with horses... um, it's the same sort of thing. It's it's the distraction that the person has a good chunk of the time. I mean, if the person is nervous or if the person is over-anticipating that, oops, we didn't make that water jump last time. So, you know, it still comes down to a lot of the changing the person's thinking. Unless the horse had a really terrible experience, the last horse show or dog show, it's it's usually uh, the human's distraction, which is something that I think EFT is, um, I've I've had people use that at horse shows, dog shows, I mean, that's a perfect fit because it's the the person has to let go of it. I'm kind of thinking about what Colleen told me where animals think in pictures. If a person is nervous about something, they're actually projecting those nervous pictures to the animal, plus the feelings, right? Yeah, and words. I mean, the, the animals definitely pick up on words. So have you actually used EFT, the emotional freedom techniques, with dogs and horses and cats? 
a lot. I I have one really kind of funny story. I had um, I used to live in Florida, and Wellington is a big international show scene. And I had this one client call me and said, you know, I don't care what you're doing today. You have to cancel all your clients, and I will take care of any financial bit of this. My horse is going after ponies in the warm-up ring. And I was like, oh, that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And and I, I usually don't need this. I mean, most of my clients I do on the phone. So I, I don't have to actually visually see the problem to be able to help get to the bottom of it. But I just happened to drive up, walk into the warm-up ring while the trainer was trying to ride the horse, and he was indeed uh, going after the ponies and nearly bucked the trainer off. So I said, I have this great idea, but we have to go kind of far away because we're going to look really weird when we do this. And so we went down a barn aisle that we knew there weren't any other people, and me, the owner, the trainer on the horse, um, you know, it's pretty funny at first, though, even though I hate ponies, I love and accept myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So you, were you were you actually tapping on the horse or on yourself? Um, I tapped on myself. I tapped a bit on the horse. I have done some tapping on. I sort of mixed it up because we did it. We worked on several different issues based on what the horse had told me. The horse had, you know, given me pretty clear pictures that when he was little, he was picked on by ponies, and nobody ever thought he was going to get that big, and he got huge. So he was using his power to. Um, Get back it, at them. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to kind of, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, it was a sight to see the huge horse lunging after ponies. Wow. Uh, but what is funny is not only did he, he calm down, he sort of was still giving them dirty looks and, you know, not snorting, but, you know, as close as a horse could get to snorting at a pony. And he donated through that week-long horse show without any further bucking or lunging. And then, but you could you could still tell he hated them. But what's funny is that about two months later, the woman called me and she said, Joan, you're never going to believe this. I just moved Shakespeare, that's the horse, into a new barn, and there's four ponies, and one of them's next to him, and he's making friends with them. Oh, how awesome. Yeah. It's how like awesome. It, that's really cool. Yeah, it's funny. I've used it a, a fair amount for people with um, that are competitive just because... Those are the people that tend to maybe every other week need some help. Um, one gal, the polo player, has this horse that, you know, when polo you have three or four horses at least, and kind of her, not her favorite, but her superstar, was starting to spook down by the goalpost, which is not a good thing because that's kind of the goal is to get to the goal. Yeah, the goal is to get to the goal. <laughs> yeah. And so we used the EFT on... Um, on her worry, that he had really been picking up on her worry that year. And this last summer, she's played him in two chuckers, so she's she's using him double now. So that worked out well. That's interesting. Well, well now, how does working with the animals tell you about their humans? Some animals may be prone more to worry or prone more to certain, I guess, what we would call human emotions, but they... You know, I'm not saying that they come into the world as a blank being because certainly they're going to be affected by the, you know, being in the womb and all of that. So a feral cat may, you know, give off some fear of humans to its baby while still in the womb. But, 
you know, in general, they, they come in pretty loving and open. And so if an animal is kind of caught in a loop, then it, it would definitely be from what it's picking up off of in its household. And that's why I, I talk in my book about emotional leadership, because things like worry, fear, all those things are pretty strong feelings that if, you know, that's the underlying emotion for the human, then, that you know, the animal is going to react. They're going to either take on the worry themselves and kind of go inside themselves, or they're going to get a little spastic and maybe dig up the garden or, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're little reactors to what we've got going on. Well, they're like kids. You know, kids know exactly where the parents' buttons are and exactly how to push them for the most effect. Exactly. (laughs) I know my dog, she knew exactly how to tick me off. I mean, exactly. You know, she was impeccable about it, and all she had to do was this one little thing, and I would lose it. They're like training allies where they they take this one little thing, and you know that you have to work on it because it's not them. Right. Oh, I've got one going on right now. So I'm in a little boot camp with one of my dogs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. She uh, is a, a new new to my household, um, and I've never had a lab before, and she does, well, two very typically lab things. One, she sort of kind of wanders off with her nose, and the other thing she does is she loves the garbage. Now, my other dog would not be you know, would run to the door to tell me that the cat had gotten the garbage, so my dog would <laughs> never get to the garbage. <laughs> so my newer dog, Isabella, uh, and I'm on five acres, and there's no fence, so when she wanders off, and it's always when I'm doing something outside with the horses that's specific. If I'm just moving horses, she's with me. If I'm feeding horses hay, she's with me. But the minute I get down to the grain and the vitamins, whoop, off she goes. So we've, we're doing some new little techniques. Yeah, I mean, it just shows me where I get distracted. Either that or maybe she's allergic to grains and vitamins. Who knows? Oh, my God, she loves the grain. That's, so that's part of what I've been doing. I keep her on a leash now when I'm doing grain. Give her a couple bites of the grain, which she's just salivating for. Huh. It must be uh, sweet. Yeah, it's yummy. I've eaten it. <laughs> Well, now let's take a left turn here. When you realized that you had a viable business mm-hmm. that would help you make a living so that you could actually help more people, did you create a business model or a marketing plan, or did you just kind of stumble into what you're doing? And you know, How do you run your business now? I honestly stumbled into it, but I started... I've worked for myself for a long time, and I have a degree in theater. I was an actress, and then I was a screenwriter. And so I have always been pretty structured and self-disciplined because I've always worked for myself. So I started creating a lot of marketing then around um, about a year into it. I still didn't know. I mean, the first year I did it, I was just doing it for free and for fun, and I loved doing it. And then I I had to start charging gas. And then eventually I had to start charging for my time because I certainly didn't have time to do any of the rewrite jobs I was hired to do. (laughs) So then I started doing a lot of marketing. Um, This is in, like, 97. Um, A lot of marketing just around um, doggy daycares and vet clinics, you know. And I, I actually I knew that enough vets probably at first wouldn't have believed in this, so... 
my technique was I just went into vet tech. I went into the front office and said, to, you know, if there were four girls sitting there, I said, all right, who has got a problem at home with your animal? And inevitably one or two of them would raise their hand. And so I'd say, well, I'd love to help. And so I'd go over to their house and talk to their dog or cat. So it would be the people at the front desk that would end up giving my, my name out the most. God, that is so smart. I mean, you just got right down to the nitty-gritty, and you got to the people who would connect you to the people rather than saying, can I work with the dog's animal or something like that. It, you, you got right down to the people who would tell other people about you. Yeah, because they're the ones that are sitting there, someone's paying their bill, or saying, oh, my other dog at home is, you know, shredding the garbage or yeah, whatever. So, yeah, because they also have the computer in front of them. So even if they're paying for the one cat to be neutered, they'll pull up the person's name and realize that they've got four other cats. And if you're good at what you do, you're going to say, how's your cat, you know, star? I mean, it just that's where the conversation happens about um, health or behavioral challenges. And then doggy daycares is the other place. I work with a ton of vets because eventually a lot of vets came around. I mean, my favorite thing to do is, you know, to set up with a doggy daycare to go in and do like a yappy hour and just sit there and, you know, start at four, leave at eight, and do 10, 15 dogs in 20-minute increments. A yappy hour? <laughs> <laughs> that is delightful. <laughs> so you work with them as a group? I want, you know, usually I've, I've done this a lot in Florida, California, Denver, and here in Seattle. Um, yeah, I get to know the, again, I get to know the staff, get to know the owner, tell them what I do, say, look, you know, I can do this, you can charge what you want, here's what I'm going to charge, you know, and usually they take $10, $15, maybe even $20 more than I charge. In fact, there's one place in Boca Raton that just doubled my half-hour price, and she never had a problem getting people. I was like, wow, okay. So, yeah, they would give me a little room or, you know, if they have a big lobby with a lot of retail stuff, I'd sit in the corner and everybody had their private session with me. Okay, so you weren't working with the animals as a group. You were working with them individually for 10 or 15 minutes each? Yeah, usually more like 20 minutes to a half hour. Okay, but th- but... All these dogs and cats and, and other animals weren't in the room together. Well, in some, one place they were, but... Um, I would imagine that that would be mayhem. Yeah, it is, but I'm used to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten used to that. <laughs> but most dogs that already go to doggy daycares are pretty, you know, they're pretty social and they can behave. Okay, okay, and the way you arranged it was that the doggy daycare would market this and tell people about it and charge for it and then take a cut of, of what you would get. Yeah. That's great. And would a vet do the same thing? Well, I have a couple of vets that do that. I have um, one vet in Denver and one vet in Los Angeles. I, work, I mean, I, I do phone sessions with he and clients probably every other week lately. I mean, he's got... You know, he tends to get into, if the illness or allergy can't be fixed through homeopathy, acupuncture, or, you know, EFT sort of things, he does something different, but it's called uh, NAET. Oh, yeah, okay. If he can't get to the bottom of it, he knows that there's some resistance with the human, and so we do a phone session, and then he tries different remedies. 
Do you ever work with animals? That, you know, like I remember taking my dog to the vet for her shots, and she actually would go into paroxysms of fear because of that the needle and, and being held still on the table and being stuck and all that stuff. Do you work with animals about that? Yeah, and I also either, if it's on the phone, I'm able to walk someone through some basic body work things um, to calm them, or if it's in person, then I, you know, show them physically how to do it. But there's, you know, stroking the ears and getting them relaxed is pretty important. I'm not a big vaccine lover. Those animals were smart to be afraid of the mercury, but that's my take on that. They knew better than to get a lot of these vaccines. How do you actually talk to people about such a woo-woo subject so that they can get it without feeling like you're from outer space or something? Uh, I just tell them that everybody's an animal communicator. I just have honed this muscle of telepathy and that they also have experienced it, although they might not recognize it, but I'm not special. I just exercise that muscle. I see, and so that's how you teach it in your classes. Yeah, and it, it's funny, too, because, like, when my book first came out early in the year, I would go to, like, the Rotary Club, had me come down and speak, and I would do this telepathic exercise, and I saw this guy, this older guy with a cane, and his arms were folded, and he didn't really participate, and I thought he was making fun of the whole thing, but later on, he came up to me, and he goes, you want to talk about animal communication? He said, I had this one horse that I knew she was so in tune with the dog, and there was one time I saw her, she whipped around as my border collie was going after a coyote that was going after one of my herd, um, the cow had just had a baby, so the coyote was about, so it was like his, he and his horse and his dog were just on a different plane, and were able to save this baby cow from the coyote. Wow. Yeah, so there's, it is funny to me how many people, you know, will stand with their arms folded in the corner, and yet they've got a better story than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're just kind of going, uh-huh, uh-huh, this is really far out. But their body language is, they don't understand that their body language seems negative. Yeah. What assumptions we make. I know. I've learned a lot. I, one time I got, I, was, I had to speak at the, uh, at the Greeley Farm Show in Colorado, and I, I was like, oh, what, are, what am I going to tell these farmers, you know? And I thought, well, John, just do a regular thing. And... So I was, I didn't even make, I made 60 handouts thinking, now I'm dreaming. If I got 30 people in there, I'll be lucky. Well, it was standing room only. And I, I didn't have, I had people tripled up over the handouts when we went to the telepathic exercises. And of course this group of farmers was better than any new age group because what are they doing all day but animal communication? That's awesome. Of course they know what their animals are doing, unless there's some kind of Simon Legree where they're just these whip-happy monsters, but they wouldn't even be there in the workshop. They wouldn't be there in the workshop, and how, is that really going to serve, you know, if you're living off the land and you're dependent on these animals, it's not going to, you're going to find out pretty quickly it doesn't work. Yeah. What makes your service distinctive from other animal communicators? Why do people go to you instead of somebody else? I would say probably a few reasons. One, I've had horses since I was seven years old, and I've, so horse people really come 
and find me because I, I mean, I've been writing lessons. I mean, my ex-husband used to say, well, when are you going to be done learning writing? I'm like, um, hopefully never. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. He wasn't a horse person, obviously. No, and he didn't get dressage, which it's like, it's an oxymoron to think he'd be complete with dressage. So I take lessons at least, you know, right now just once a week, but. Usually, I'm I'm riding, you know, with a trainer a couple of days a week, and I've ridden many different disciplines. And any opportunity I get, I mean, I had clients in Florida that would have come, have me come over and learn raining. I mean, I I I would go learn whatever. Yeah, I'm hoping somebody will come let me let me come over and try a fox trotter next. You know, I mean, I I love to learn about all the breeds, all the disciplines, so I'm constantly in the know on that. I've taken every possible body work there is, done the acupressure courses, I've done cranial sacral, I've learned a ton of stuff so I know specific things that would help specific problems, meaning somebody else, one person might benefit, their horse might benefit from a chiropractor, whereas the horse next to him really might need cranial sacral work. Ah. And, um, How the heck do you do cranial sacral on a horse? It's amazing. You know, like anybody else, if you just go over to the ribs and start, you know, opening up the diaphragm, getting the big openings of the breath work there. And, now, are you but, wor- actually working with the horse or the owner? The horse. That's amazing. Oh, it's so cool because, you know, they aren't saying, well, I don't know if cranial sacral is going to work. They're just enjoying it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the... It's pretty quick. I did, one time I worked on this horse with Sacrum. She hadn't, um, wasn't able to be bred, and she hadn't come into season for two years since the woman's daughter had left for college. You know, she was just really heartbroken and didn't let, know what her next job was going to be. And so all the while I just put my hands over Sacrum and started opening it up and, you know, continued to talk to the horse and the woman and the horse were pretty sad about the daughter leaving for college and next thing you know when we finished they walked her out and she boom went right into heat wow wow that is so cool yeah they're they're open to that much change yeah yeah like you say they don't sit there and go well i don't think this is going to work this is just woo woo hokey pokey stuff they're yeah it's just energy and they're they're accepting yeah, so it's pretty profound to see that. So I think that's, I mean, again, because I've learned so many different little things that add up to the whole picture, even if I'm on the phone with a dog in Wisconsin and I get a sense of something with an allergy, you know, I say, let's let's go on Google right now and find your, your new holistic vet, you know, that's going to do acupuncture or, you know, whatever it is. I've got enough knowledge of all the different healing modalities and then disciplines within dog showing, horse showing. And I still do, you know, as I said, right now my dog, my newer dog and I are in a little boot camp working a training issue, so she's looking to me rather than the wild blue yonder. Yeah. Awesome. Now, what are maybe three business tips that you might give somebody who is either getting into the business or been in the business and want to expand? How have you expanded your business? What is a tip somebody you could give somebody? I think, well, number one would be it's the getting to know, like, the the support staff in things like doggy daycares, shelters, and vet hospitals, you know, that 
It's the support staff that spreads the word. Number two would be uh, getting yourself up in front of small groups and giving, you know, talks, getting out there. That's another thing I, I forgot to mention that I did any chance I could. I got up and spoke, and I still do. And, you know, I've had times where I've been a paid speaker, and now with the book out, you know, I'm sort of going back to the beginning and getting up and speaking wherever. And um, I've got a lot of stuff coming up, so it's going to be really fun. And, oh, another, another big place would be if you are a horse person, go to the tax store. I mean, I went, there, I'm one of the big events I'm doing in a few weeks here that the big fancy tax store here in, uh, on the east side of Seattle, probably 10 years ago, I walked in and did one person's horse for free, and my name lit, my name hit the streets like lighting hay on fire. So, so, you know, support staff, getting up and speaking. Go to the places where the animals are being taken care of. Yes. Taken care of and served like a tax store or how about pet stores? Yeah, pet stores. That's another place where I've done group things. And uh, I'm going down to Florida in December and literally it's like one day I'll be at a pet store, that night I'll be at a doggy daycare, the next day I'll be at a new age bookstore, the next day I'll be at a farm. And... You know, some of it's speaking, some of it's book signing, some of it's readings, but, you know, because they all know who I am, because when I lived there, I'd, I'd bet so, pet stores, I would go in and say to the owner, um, listen, this is what I do, I'd love to talk to your dog. And that was it. I mean, I've forever created some <laughs> business things. What about 4-H or something like that? 4-H, see, I started in 4-H, I love 4-H, and that's, to me, I have all these 23, 24-year-old kids that are calling me now because they're still competing with their horses that I met when I spoke at their 4-H group oh. 12 years ago. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, 4-H is awesome because you're getting to young minds. And if young minds know that we're all doing this, that less of a battle later on. Yeah, yeah. It's speaking to groups to I mean if there are two people in the room and that's all you got, those are two more people that are going to understand this and they're going to tell their friends. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because it's really a, an arena that's wide open. There, there's a lot of EFT practitioners and a lot of acupuncturists and Reiki people, but how many animal communicators do we know? Not very many. So, yeah, I'm really upping the ante with how I'm going to be teaching because for that reason, because I want people to be really well-rounded, and I'm going to put together a giant program, and one of my requirements, and I won't be teaching that part, but I'm going to require that people, you know, if you want a certification from me, you need to go learn something like EFT, you need to go learn something like acupressure on dogs, or, you know, just be really well-rounded so you have an understanding of energy work and an understanding of anatomy. Oh, that's awesome. So you're going to be doing alliances with other practitioners so that they teach that part and then they come back to you for the animal part? Exactly. Wow. Well, now, once again, um, your website is joanranquet.com, R-A-N-Q-E-T, and you have a book called Communication with All Life, Revelations of an Animal Communicator. Where can people get your book? Amazon. I can go to Hay House. It's in Barnes & Noble. It's in Borders. I think I'm going to work on trying to get it into Costco. <laughs> wow, that's terrific. Congratulations. Thanks.
I've got one more question for you here, and that is, what's one daring thing that you're going to do in the next 12 months? Putting together communication with All Life University. Communication with All Life University. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I am creating a two-year program where, I mean, anyone can take the webinar. They don't have to take it to be in the program. And anyone can come take any one of my classes at any time. But always along, over the years of teaching, there's always been a couple people that have come to me and said, I really want to do what you do, and I want, how do I? How do you do uh, it? Yeah, and you know, I've, I've had some things that kind of took me off the track. Um, I, I've, and I've stayed in touch with all these people, and I help them as best I can, but I, I'm, I've really formulated a thing, a way that I want to do it. And you know, part of it was writing a book and getting a book out was no small task, and I moved from Florida, and I've just I've been divorced now about a year or so, or two years. Some of these things have taken up brain space, but this has always been what I've wanted to do, and now I can do it. That is really amazing. Now, let me ask you this question. because But it is a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal, and it sounds really fabulous to me. Are you going to – now, this is one of my big objections to schools, that they don't teach the business end of things. Are you going to – Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to have – I mean, my version of what the class is going to be called is spit and polish, but it's going to be about marketing. You're going to call <laughs> – you're gonna you're gonna call it spit and polish? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you give it that name? Because for two reasons. One, a lot of animal people really don't you know, people that work in shelters and people that work in a lot of places they'll tell me, I wanna do this work but I don't like people and I think to myself, Well good luck <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's not going to get you very far. So by the time they get to the spit and polish part of the class, um, I, I, one of my requirements will be some sort of a, some sort of a spiritual thing that, that enables them to understand some compassion for fellow humans because people are, you can't help animals if you aren't help, you know, if you aren't working with people. Yeah. And so that that's going to be a big component. So kind of what I guess with the spit and polish is, is getting them to clean up any sort of clean up emotionally, mentally, physically, some of their own stuff. And then really being able to take like, let's say you had some sort of a tragedy and it's something that's lingered in your past. How do you make that your biggest strength and how do you sell it? For me, I had a pretty big tragedy with two horses in 90, uh, 91 and 93, which is what sent me into this arena. And I learned a lot. I mean, with what I know now between body work and nutrition and minerals, I probably, and behavior, I probably wouldn't have had the two disasters I had. One, I, a horse colicked and died the night she, well, she didn't die the night, but she, colic 14 hours after she gave birth to uh, a horse that I, I had bred her to have and this was the horse in my dreams I lost her two months later and then the young orphan colt three years later had so many illnesses and behavioral problems that I I had to let him go I mean I had to he had to go on to the next world so you know it couldn't have been the worst thing on the one hand but I know those two little beings are part of communication with All Life University. Hmm. 
I mean, people don't come to this work because life is fun and easy. People are going to be losing jobs here, and they're going to be looking deep within themselves about what they want to do. And so some people that come to me are going to be leaving the corporate world or have left the corporate world, so they have some business sense. And then the other, the other type of person that comes to me is a type that just wants to work with animals and doesn't like people. So it's going to be an interesting thing to start, you know, as I said, kind of clean yourself up, what you're, you know, being able to clear yourself and be clear, a clear vessel for other people, but also to be able to then look very specifically at how you want to market yourself how you want to present yourself and what your goals are with your business. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So so I'm assuming that, that you would have something like how to write a business plan, how to create a marketing plan, how to write copy. You know, th- those are things that you could hire other or yeah, do other alliances with. That won't be my job. <laughs> <laughs> Although you've got some pretty good... I'd say you've got some pretty awesome natural things that you're already doing. I mean, you're not a guy in a suit putting ads in paper. You're just going down to, the, to these people and saying, you know, let me work with your dog and so that you can spread the word. Yeah, because I found, I mean, I did do, I did a lot of advertising in the in the 90s, and at the end of the day, it was just money spent it, for me for whatever reason. And I learned that it was better to, uh, I hired a marketing person in the year 2000 and we put together a plan and then I've been reworking the plan uh, with this with the school in mind. <clears throat> and the other reason that advertising doesn't work is that at least in the 90s it didn't work for me. Not a lot of people didn't know what animal communication was and I found that it was either one, I had to get in front of people and tell them what it was and then they'd be interested in me, or two, uh, it was always going to be referrals. And still to this day, I always ask people, how did you find me? And literally, September and October, I was so busy with phone sessions, I couldn't even see straight. And every single, I thought it would be from the book, but it wasn't. It was 92% of it was referral, and it may have been even from somebody that whose sister's cousin used me in <laughs> right. 01, you know? Yeah, yeah. But if it's someone that they trust, it's a number they'll hang on to. Yeah, that's a really good point. Someone that they trust, they hang on to the number. I do that. Yeah, me too. I mean, we all do that, so word of mouth really is big. But let's imagine that somebody's coming in, they are from the corporate world, but they've been, let's say, um, a secretary or something like that. They don't necessarily have business knowledge, mm-hmm. but they know that business is important. Right. Are you going to be including like a business model or anything like that so they can, you know, say, well, okay, I need to set up a website with, you know, a freebie that people can come into my newsletter so they can get a low-end product and blah, 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 something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's taken me kind of a long time to learn all that stuff, too. I've been lucky in terms of referral business and I've also been very fortunate in things like, for the book, I've been on like Good Morning America, Dateline, things like that. But I know not everybody has been as lucky as me. And I know there's still ways to really create that kind of excitement around your work in very simple things. So absolutely, that would be vital. That's great. That's great. Because I know that when I went to art school, it was all about making art, but Mm -hmm. we certainly didn't learn about the business. And I went through 40 years of being a starving artist before I learned about marketing. You know, that marketing wasn't necessarily selling, it was serving. Right. 
So for you to provide that, that's really huge. That's at the university. Yeah, that's great. Well, Joan, is, is there anything else that you want to add as far as tips or tricks that other animal communicators could do to extend their business expertise or something else that you want to share with us? I think one of the best things, we always have to look at ourselves. I mean, whether it's one week you get five clients who have liver disease or for some reason I'll get have a day where all the husbands are named David or all, which is my ex-husband's name, um, or all the cats are named Yogi or, you know what I mean? Like, always kind of observe the obvious, what's in front of you and, and really, I mean, I think there's always that opportunity for self-growth and the more we stay on that track, the better we're going to be in the world. Because if we don't have the self-growth, how are we going to look around and help others? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Joan, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure having you on my show today. I think that it's really interesting what you're doing, and, and I just love how you're doing it in such a, a natural, friendly, human way instead of, you know, making it a business and making it a corporate world. You've really you've made it a friendly business. Thank you. This has been really fun, so anytime you want to have me back, I'll come back. Oh, good. Okay, well, I'll keep that on my list. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so this has been Angela Treat Lyon with EFTBooks.com and EFTBizSuccess.com where you can get more information about creating success for your energy business and not just your practice but your business and IDareYouRadio.com bringing you massive support, awesome inspiration and resources for you daring dreamers who break the mold and live your dreams every single day. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you.